listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right, Matt, good morning. Good morning, Adam. Day 75 and 76 of the oral transmission of the scriptures. Mm, we're doing it. Good to be here. <clears throat> Where are we today? Our Old Testament reading is Numbers chapter 4 through chapter 6. Breaking down the Le- the Levite tribe, right? Yeah, the tribe of Levites. So we had uh, basically the structure and the organization of the other tribes around the tabernacle, and now we're getting into the the tribe of the Levites, and they're broken down into three clans. Uh, the clan of the Kohath, uh, Gershonites, and the sons of Merari. Merari. Yeah. So these three, and then you have Aaron and Moses making up their own special tribe of prophet clan. Yeah, they, they're technically part of the Kohathites, which is why we'll see their duties are very specific. Um, so, some of the stuff that they handle is pretty cool. So I think I can handle this whole section pretty quickly. Cool. If yeah. you don't mind. No. My own Basically, means. the question, as you're reading this, the question becomes, if... People approach the holy things wrong and they die. How are we ever get, how did they ever move this thing? Yes. Because it's so big <clears> and so ornate. And these are the chapters, chapters four, four or five, really, that tell you how. Actually, it's all, yeah, four and five, how they move these things. Mm-hmm. And so each, each tribe of Levi, the Kohaths, the Gershonites, and the Merari tribe are given a task. So, uh, one of them, basically, here's how they moved it. Yeah. Aaron and Moses had to wrap, had to wrap things up, like the most holy things they wrapped up, and then these guys would come in and carry the parts of the inner sanctuary. I think it was uh, the Kohaths would carry mm-hmm. the inner sanctuary parts, but they were already wrapped up by Aaron and his sons. And his yeah. sons, and so they never actually looked at them. They weren't mm-hmm. allowed to sneak in and go, "Let's get a sneak peek." And they weren't allowed to touch them directly. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are like uh, tools in the in the operating room like mm-hmm. if you touch them they become unholy and you become unholy you become it's bad and so this is he god literally tells them you're going to wrap things up mm-hmm. and then you'll be the ones in charge of the inner you'll be in charge of the outer and then the marari will be in charge of the outer outer coverings mm-hmm. and so uh, this way though they aren't um, unclean and they don't ruin the stuff yeah it's pretty amazing because mm-hmm. there's this like sweet little verse that's buried uh chapter Chapter 4, verse 18. Let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites, Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. There it is. So God's saying, uh, let's do this in a way that doesn't wipe out your whole clan. Right. And mm-hmm. so you're going to go in, you're going to cover it, you're going to wrap it all up, and they're going to come in use the poles that you've already inserted into everything, and they're going to carry it out. Right. So that's pretty cool. And then there's thousands of people, I think a total of 8,000. And now these guys uh, from each tribe, they're going to be between ages 30 and 50. So a census... Because they are handling the most holy things of God. So you have to be mature to handle the responsibility of looking and not looking and not touching mm-hmm. and doing these things right. So there's really a what only a 20-year period from where you're going to help break down and move this tabernacle in your life. Yes. Now, the analogy that came to me was 
like how much God cares about the holy things of God. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way, like with ordination and being called as a pastor, I saw I saw myself as being one of these tribes, really, as handling holy things of God. And there's just yeah. things you you're trusted with and there's certain age and responsibility and I don't know, maybe thirty to fifty years old is a good time to serve. But uh we handle the we protect the gospel message today and it requires proper training and mm. And assignment. So um, that was pretty much chapter four, wouldn't yeah, you say? Yeah, it was pretty much chapter four. Just remember that um, each clan has like a specific duty, yeah. and some are seen a little more uh, in higher regard than the others, right. like more special, because the Coathites are actually carrying things of the tabernacle. Anyways, I only note that because later in the story, this will become an issue. Yeah, there's there's uh, priorities. You know, you'll start to see yourself as the people who get to be closer to the and see the inside of the temple yeah. are more important. Mm-hmm. Because as humans, we always try to figure out who's better than us and who's less than us. It's one of our negative conditions of being human. But uh, so chapter five then gets into away from the organizational aspect in terms of people groups and like mm-hmm. tribes and into how we're going to deal with people. Yeah, so taking the stuff that was the rules that were handed out in Leviticus and now actually applying them. Yeah. So we had all those chapters on how to deal with uh, people with leprosy and skin disorders and all that stuff. Here in quick beginning of chapter five, it's now the people actually got all those people and removed them from the organization of the camp. So year two, it's time to get the unclean folks outside of camp Mm -hmm. until they can be restored. And then it goes into uh, this idea of confession and absolution begins immediately year two in the wilderness Mm. where you need to make confession. Like if I stole something, I stole your phone, I have to return your phone, confess it. Then I would return you the thing I stole plus one-fifth of its value. Yes. So one-fifth of whatever... No. What's one fifth? A hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and say sorry, and uh, and then there was a way to if if you were dead and you had no family, then you give it to the priest, and there's a way to make restitution and offer and offerings to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And again, this is makes sense to me because one of the primary roles of even church that I feel like we've kind of lost, or maybe where we're gaining now, is absolution, confession, and absolution. You come into church and be forgiven. Yeah. But confess. Have a place to confess, be forgiven, and then be fed. From um, You don't have to bring back and repay because Christ's payment was good enough and yeah. better than good enough. <clears throat> and you start to realize like how gracious this is and right. freeing and redemptive because otherwise you're just cut off from the camp or people are trying to gain vengeance on one another. Instead, yeah. it's you confess, you admit that you did something wrong, you pay for it, you deal with it, and then you back into the family. Well, it's the way to actually deal with things mm-hmm. and not just act like, oh, we're good, but mm-hmm. not really. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make you pay for it later. And then you get into one of the weirdest uh, <laughs> sections of the Old Testament. And I feel like I'm starting to get a handle on this. Yeah. The test, there's a, uh, a trial, an ordeal to see if a woman has committed adultery or not. Mm-hmm. I know. And I've... I've heard a lot of people kind of like freak out about this or dismiss it as if it's like a weird, like that's just a weird part that well, we don't understand. It sounds like Monty, Monty Python, like search for the Holy Grail. She's a witch. Yeah. If she floats, she's a witch. If right. she sinks, she's not. You right. know, and it's like a joke. Except for when you start getting into how they handle it. Right. 
So let's just, here's the story. If a man's, so basically if a man, what I liked is if a man has a spirit of jealousy, all of a sudden he's overwhelmed by the fact or the idea that I think my wife has cheated on me. Mm-hmm. There is a way to test, to take her to the priest. The priest then gets like holy water, yes. dust from the floor of the tabernacle. Yes. She drinks it. Uh, there's another layer yeah, that I caught the, for the first time. Let's hear it. Uh, she agrees to a curse. Curse, yes. I was going to get to that. And the curse is written down mm-hmm. and then washed off into the water. So now that uh, she has to drink her own words. She has to drink her own words, which say, if I cheated on my husband, I'll be cursed. Curse. And the curse, there's weird language. If you're reading along, it's like her thigh will <clears throat> fall, fall away yeah. and her womb will swell. Right. Which is, she won't have kids anymore. Right. Things so you, that were supposed to work will not work anymore. So you will be basically barren mm-hmm. if this happens. And everyone will know that mm-hmm. you cheated on your husband. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems crazy, but... But... Here's what I realized. Yes. First of all, if a man is overwhelmed by a spirit of jealousy in a culture where a man is like God, yeah, I think God here is stepping in to protect women from being accused of adultery. Like if I just want a divorce <clears throat> from my wife and mm-hmm. I say, she cheated on me, um, without this kind of rule, I could just do whatever I wanted to her. Yes. And so God's like, no, bring her into the temple and allow God to be involved in this. Because mm-hmm. I do think it's a direct intervention of God. Like the curse, he, God is bringing up curses mm-hmm. and blessings. And if you are innocent, this will not curse you. Right. And God will bless you. But if you are lying and you have cheated, God does not like adultery. Adultery is the biggest attack on the nature of God's love for us mm-hmm. and how he interacts with And it hurts the economy. It hurts everything. Mm-hmm. It hurts the family. But this is God's way, I saw it for the first time, of protecting women. Mm-hmm. In the past, it always felt like, this is ridiculous. And then, did you read the stuff about you know the Code of Hammurabi and other cultures were doing things? This is like a cultural thing as well, mm-hmm. where other cultures were <clears throat> trying to give women a chance and doing ordeals and things like this. Yeah, because, but they're a little harsher. But they're way harsher. <laughs> and uh, yeah, of course, and God's way is always more loving, always more kind, always more It was more always protective. on the woman's ability to get out of the mess than it was right. a divine intervention. And so here's the thing that was hitting me. Yes. We just came from a chapter that was dealing, that God was saying, like, don't touch my things right. or you will die. Which is a pretty miraculous kind of statement. Yes. And so we've established that the tabernacle and the things within it are holy and set apart and carry real presence of God and interacting with them poorly or inappropriately will bring as much judgment as it will salvation. And so we see the priest using the water that's in the presence of the tabernacle that was used to wash the priests and make them ceremonially clean. Mm -hmm. Then he's taking dust from the tabernacle floor, which is also in the presence of God, which is also something clean. So you're taking the presence of God, putting it into a bowl that's either going to bring salvation or judgment. There it is. It's real salvation and real judgment because it carries the real presence of God. <laughs> she takes it in and it either is a blessing yeah. and, vindic- and saves her and says she's saved and she will now carry the blessing of having children with her husband 
or it condemns her and she will be barren and divorced. And bear the iniquity of her sin. Yeah. Anyways. Wow. Well, and then uh, chapter six goes into the Nazarite vow, how to separate yourself apart as unto the Lord. So if you wanted to, for a certain time or for Mm -hmm. a a purpose, you make a Nazarite vow. It means you're not going to drink alcohol, you're not going to cut your hair, and you're not going to touch anything that has death. Right. And uh, so, you know, you think of guys like Samson, who basically breaks all three. Yeah. I think he partied, too, so he drank alcohol. I know know for sure he cut his hair, and he touched the dead, ate honey out of the dead lion and all that stuff. That would be, yeah. Judges. Yes. But but the the thing that, that struck me this time was when your vow is over, you cut your hair and you put it under the peace offering. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. But God, yeah. And then you bring, like, you bring this giant feast. Like, that's what I'm realizing is, like, they bring this, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, the the unleavened bread, but the loaves of bread, the drink offering, and you're pouring it all out. You're giving it to the priest. You're giving it to before God. And then you are partaking of this also. And it's signifying the end of the thing. So in, in all of this, you're touching a dead thing. You yeah. are drinking the wine again. You, like... You're, you're cutting cut, your you're hair. Cu- you're cutting your hair, and you're being... It's actually restored to the normal community of God. And it's an appropriate way for the vow mm. to be fulfilled. Yeah. Which, you know, we don't take vows. <clears throat> we shouldn't take vow, very many vows. And the ones we do, we should take seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you take vows at baptism, at weddings, or becoming a citizen, mm-hmm. um, working for a government, whatever. <clears throat> and so Jesus' thing, and, and for as people of God... We take vows pretty seriously. Yeah. And so here's where you're set apart with a vow. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into the last thing we'll cover in Numbers today is Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27, which is known as the Aaronic blessing or benediction, something I use at the end of a service to announce blessing over people. It's mm-hmm. taken uh, the second year in the wilderness. And God tells, he spoke to Mo- uh, Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and tell tell the sons how to bless the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty remarkable. I mean, we could spend hours probably breaking it down, but it's broken up into three parts. I believe it's broken up according to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it starts off with the Lord bless you and keep you. So like God, that's the Father. He can bless you and keep <clears throat> you. The Lord make his face shine upon you mm-hmm. and be gracious to you. Now we know something about shining faces. Yes. About the presence of God. And again, like they've seen Moses' face. It's terrifying. Yeah. And so the blessing is that God's actual face will shine upon you and be gracious, not destroy you. Yeah. It's like you can look into the sun and your eyes will not be hurt. That's grace. And then we know, of course, the face of God is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the countenance is, is like the um, emotional... The smile. Yeah, the presence. It's, it's the, uh, I'm for you. So his face could be looking at you, yeah, and he could be gracious, but he could be against you. Mm-hmm. Now, his countenance turned upon you means he's for you, yeah, and he's with you. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to us the countenance of God. And giving us peace. And giving us the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, who is the face of God, mm-hmm. who has guaranteed the, uh, the blessing and the keeping of us. Yeah. Great. And then he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. 
So like God's name is upon them. God's name is upon us because of the work of Jesus Christ and his announcement of peace and blessing. It's pretty great. So this is what um, we get to see the face of God and live now because of Christ. And his name is on us. We bear the mark of his ownership, his blessing, and protection. Boom. Boom. That's good. That's all the numbers. Yeah. Good book so far. Better than I remember. Where are we going in the New Testament today? Our New Testament reading is found in Luke chapters 1, verse 57 through chapter 2, verse 20. So, Mary had just visited her cousin Elizabeth. Just sang her song, right? Sang her song, and then after three months, spending three months, moves on back home. And now we get the birth of John the Baptist. And... That's right. I'm I'm realizing there's some pretty significant things happening here. Uh when you start to put it in the context of God has been silent to his people for 400 years. Yeah, it's all of a sudden, it's just the floodgates of God working are opening. <clears throat> you have a priest who enters the holy place and sees an angel, comes out miraculously mute. A woman who was barren is all of a sudden having a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Which, by the way, tied to the numbers account we just read about the test for adultery, mm-hmm. the part of the shame of not being able to have a baby is maybe questioning yeah. your character. Right. So like exactly. maybe you're not having a baby because you've sinned in this way, yeah. which is a huge reproach, right? And <clears throat> so Elizabeth feels that, and the Lord has opened up her wombs, justifying her, saying, I've only been faithful to Zechariah. Right. And so we're, we're starting to see like, big things and big themes that have been in the Old Testament and uh, signs of God's active presence among his people start showing up. And then, uh, so we get his birth, and it's cool that they kind of have this giant party because it's a really big deal. And again, guess what day is mentioned here? The eighth day. The eighth day. It's a huge theme we're finding in Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's the eighth day they bring their children to be circumcised because it's the beginning of the new creation. And that's when they get named. You get named on the eighth day. The eighth day is when everything <clears throat> new begins because the mm-hmm. first seven days were all creation and rest. Yeah. And now the new era has begun. You bring your baby in to be circumcised because now the new era is going to be under the reign of God, and mm-hmm. here's the mark and the sign of God through circumcision. They start to call him Zechariah, but then his uh, mother said, no, he shall be named called, he shall be called John. And they're like, none of your relatives are called John. Why mm-hmm. are you doing this? And uh, they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called, and he asked for the tablet, right? You're right. <clears throat> and and wrote, he wrote down. I'm trying to think when he started talking. Oh, once he wrote down, his name is John. His name is John. That's kind of like he. That's where he believes. He puts like, his name upon the son. Puts his name upon the son and says, "This is God's son, and he's gonna be called John." Do you know what John means? Uh, yes. It's Hold like, on. It's, it's, it's uh, like yeah, uh, Jan. Anyway. You figure that out. Mm-hmm. And immediately, though, his mouth is opened. It's Again, it's the eighth day. It's a new era. It's a new time. Um, and this is why I always just want people to know, this is why we worship on Sunday. 
Jesus rose again on the eighth day. His tongue is loosed and he starts blessing God. And from this... Um, <clears throat> John means the Lord has shown his favor. There you go. What then shall this child be? The hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah. What's John's name mean again? <clears throat> the, the Lord has shown his favor. The Lord has shown his favor. And then Zechariah immediately prophesies, the Lord has shown his favor. Yeah. This is light in the darkness. And he sings a beautiful song. Or they would, When they would prophesy, they would do it in kind of like a chant. Okay. And so that's why it's even broken up like this, because it is kind of a chant poem. I mean, he sees this as being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Mm-hmm. We're going to serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness. And the child will be called the prophet of the Most High that uh, John is going to lead the way. Mm-hmm. He is the classic prophet before the Son of God comes. I know. But he's the last <clears throat> Old Testament prophet. So we're seeing a priest is a seeing an angel, a barren woman is becoming pregnant, uh, a priest is prophesying and saying a prophet has come among the people again. Like, and he's going to guide our feet in the way of peace. Yeah. Because Christ is peace. It's pretty amazing. The child grew up, became strong in spirit. And then he was set apart in the wilderness. So maybe he took a Nazarite vow yeah, or something. Yeah, he, he's considered having a Nazarite vow. Until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So amazing. So meanwhile, though, we get to the setup for Mary to have yeah. to give birth. Yeah. So now it flips over because we're kind of comparing and contrasting these two. Yeah. And we move to... Chapter 2, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so now Luke is bringing in Caesar Augustus and then the registration and when, um, and all that stuff, all the government stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Basically to tell us. Like when he's giving, he's giving like a, the scene, he's setting the time and the scene of this narrative. And again, the idea is Caesar Augustus is named the son of God. And now the son, the real son of God is about to be born under it, his rule. It's so interesting we just read and you know it's how it it's going together with the old testament mm-hmm. so the world also has the inclination to take a census yeah but the because the king wants to know like count his money mm-hmm. i want to see how much power i have how harsh can i be in, in diplomacy with other nations because we can back it up i want to get a, an inventory and so uh but it's from a position of power mm-hmm. and so god does the same thing but from a position of power, but goodness, you know, like he's, it's just interesting. So um, they also are part of a census and have to go back to Bethlehem, right? Yep. Go to Bethlehem, get registered and all that good stuff. She gives birth in a manger, like Mm -hmm. not a royal situation at all. Nope. Yeah, like, and again, there weren't like a real inns like the way we think of things like right. holiday inns it was more like uh people who had houses uh had like an extra room yeah for some families to stay in and they also were built into the side of caves and so the cave area is where like the cattle and everything like when right. you bring them in from the outdoors at night you would lead them into the back of the house which was part of a cave okay and that's where you'd put them and so let's, that's where they are let's be honest though it's not uh, great if you're if it's late and or even if it's during the day and someone brings their pregnant wife who's about to give birth and wants to stay at your place yeah like what's the last thing you really want to deal with Uh, a crying 
the mess of labor. The that, mess of labor. Yeah. Like this, and it's very real that she could die. I don't really need a woman to die in my house. Mm-hmm. I don't need the mess mm-hmm. of childbirth. I don't need this. Like that's going to be one heck of a night <laughs> that maybe we don't have to, maybe we can forego the two pennies it's gonna, <clears throat> we're going to make off this Airbnb mm-hmm. and not give make our Airbnb a birthing, yeah, that's a a good, birthing that's a, center. Uh, Airbnb is actually probably a better uh, analogy to what was going on. And it's like, I'm not going to make my, this, uh, yeah, a crime scene because <laughs> so many things go bad. I mean, historically, yeah, it's really... Yeah. It's kind of rough. <laughs> as a result, they're like, you know what? The barn is probably a good place. So none of us have to take responsibility for what's happening. Yeah. And if it lives, and the baby get, lives, the mom the lives, The barn great. is kind of also where it gets, it's already messy. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the most humble, humiliating place to be born, which is perfect, though, because the Son of God came to serve and not mm-hmm. be served. And so he's going to start in the most lowly, humble places because that's where he has to go to save us. Yeah. Pretty cool. We know this is all true because whenever God's creating or doing something amazing, angels show up. Mm. And so we got the shepherds and the angels. Again, the shepherds are lowly, low-class people who are not allowed to testify in court. You wouldn't trust them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world did not trust them to testify to anything, yet they're testifying to the birth of the Son of God. Yeah, and it's really cool too because it's taking place in Bethlehem, which is where David comes from, and David was a shepherd in these fields. And so we're having the people, the descendants, or at least uh, within the line of like being shepherds in Bethlehem of David are the first ones to hear about the saviors here. And David, remember, there's Psalms where it says David would bow down to Mm -hmm. his son or to the son of God, my Lord. And it's like, there is homage being paid to here. The real king is coming yeah. in the same line that the first king came. And it's coming to a low, the lowest of people, for yeah. all people. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. And this is the first time. So we've read Matthew and Mark. Did Matthew <clears throat> didn't have the shepherds, right? He no, had the Matthew magi. had the magi. Right. So this is the first time we're hearing about the shepherd. In the last account. time. Yeah, it's yeah. only in Luke. Yeah. So Luke, again, is always focusing on these themes of humility of children, women, healing, and um, yeah, God, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> I think. So then you have the angels who suddenly there was an angel, the with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there are the angels from creation at the recreation and at the birth of Christ, showing up and singing in multitudes. I mean, mm. a host is like, I don't know, how many, I, it's got to be somewhere where a host is, but it's like, is it in the thousands of angels? I don't know. It's big. It's a big host. And so then they lead the shepherds. Um, the shepherds say to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And the Lord has made known to us. And mm-hmm. they go and they find the baby laying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known, saying that, had been told them all that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them they're like what and then there's a great verse about mary Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure mary and joseph too are like oh look the shepherd showed up (laughs) and late no one else showed up and how and how they showed up and, and it's like great we got shepherds but it says mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart yeah so She's just pondering 
the last nine months. And Gabriel and Joseph, a husband who is stuck with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I mean, like, that's he's kind stuck of with a gift. Her. It's amazing. Yeah. She's like, this is amazing. And now what appeared to be awful, it's like shepherds show up, and you don't know if you can trust them, but they understand. They're putting together this vision and this from Gabriel. They're putting together everything for her, and she's holding that in her heart. Mm-hmm. She's not going to forget any of this. And then again, you got the eighth day. At the yep. end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. It's pretty cool that God named both John and Jesus. Yeah. Like, names matter. Yeah, he put the name, yeah, he put I think, his name on the people. And I actually think we huh. all have real names that God has named us. Yeah, probably. They might match up with what our parents gave us, but I think our real names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know? Hmm. Wow. Thank God for coming to uh, lowly people. That All that does is encourage me because I feel I identify more with shepherds and lowly people than I do with the high and powerful people, you know? Yeah. But the gospel's for us. Jesus is not afraid to get into your uh, messiness. Psalm 34, are we going to finish the rest of it? We are going to finish oh. the rest of Psalm 34. I love Psalm 34. Verse 11 through 22. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll see you. Oh, actually, we'll talk to you next time.